Salutations, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning into the very first episode of the Hit Play Podcast. In this episode, we talk about Christopher Nolan and kind of go through his career and how he's progressed over the years. Uh, when we originally sat down to record this podcast, we kind of were hoping for an hour and a half to maybe even two hours of content. And we actually ended up doing uh, well over three hours. And we kind of realized that it's kind of hard for our listeners to digest uh, all the information that we give. So we decided to split this episode into three parts. Uh, and you will be listening to the first part where we go th- from his first film following all the way until Batman Begins. Um, so enjoy our very first episode and welcome to the Hit Play Podcast. director uh that we both admire well let me ask you what are your what what's your opinion because i think people who know me know my thoughts on christopher you Nolan. Love <laughs> my appreciation for him as a artist uh but what what are your uh thoughts on him i i do appreciate him as a director i think I'm one of those those old men who complains about superheroes superhero movies being trash and all too similar to each other. So someone like Nolan is a good breath of fresh air every now and then. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely. I think especially as he got later on in his career, he kind of somehow blended big blockbuster movies with more intimate movies, like art house. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, I mean, he sometimes he strikes out with it which I think we'll get into later on. But yeah, sometimes I think f- for the most part, he kind of hits it on the head, especially with the Dark Knight trilogy, which, you know, we'll obviously get into because yeah. those are three of the greatest movies. But he manages to bring his art house experimental, like the way that he edits and shoots films, he manages to merge that with his like more accessible stories. Yeah, and there's a lot also a lot with his films you know there's a there's a little bit of depth it's not wow, just into, yeah. stereotypical beat em up action movies and stuff like that it's there's there's it his movies lend themselves well to the rewatches which i enjoy because i like to watch his movies oh, yeah for sure uh so a little so bit start with the following yeah, well actually i just wanted to kind of bring up some some tidbits about him before we get into his career as a oh, whole yeah. Um, so he studied, yeah, yeah, yeah. He studied English literature at University College London. He pursued an English degree, not a film degree, because it gives a different take on things. That's his quote, not mine. Uh, he has produced 11 movies. Seven of them are in the top 250 of IMDb. Take that what you will, but that's still pretty impressive. Do you know which seven they are? Him and his wife. Uh, well, his him and his wife have produced every movie that he has directed together. So, I guess him and his wife. But I don't know. Um, do you know which seven movies there they are though? I'm gonna guess Dark Knight. Okay. Inception. Okay. Interstellar. Dark Knight Rises. Okay. Okay. Possibly Dunkirk. Do you want me to tell you if you're right or wrong? Yes. No, so it's not Dunkirk. 
Uh, Batman Begins. Yep. Memento. Yep. Tenet. No. So the, f- the last one. So the Prestige? four, th- yeah, Prestige is in the top fifty. So okay. the four that aren't in are Insomnia, Dunkirk, Following, and Tenet, which is his first two films, or two of his first films, and then the last two films, his which I thought was pretty interesting. Two recent films. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting, but he's um, fallen off. <laughs> he's overrated. Uh, he has grossed. Over five billion dollars. His films have grossed over five billion dollars in the box office, which, you know, you look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe and you're like, that's not really that much. But for one director, to one director that's over insane. eleven films, and he, I mean, he had the Batman trilogy, but other than that, a lot of his films are not, you know, marquee franchises. Uh, I think I thought Inception that was... and Interstellar were, were both over a billion box office as well. Interstellar and which one? Inception. Uh, so Inception was a little short. I was eight hundred and what was it at? Eight hundred thirty-six million at the box office. Interstellar only made only made, I quote, around only seven hundred and one million. Wow. So uh, he had two billion-dollar movies. Yeah, he had two billion-dollar movies in The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises, which makes sense considering that they're both Batman movies. And that is also not including Tenet because Tenet was released during a pandemic. And so uh, it wasn't able to make any money. That number would probably be a little bit higher. higher. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I wonder if they're going to re-release it. I I wonder too because it feels like re-releases just a lot. It feels like movies... Are more likely to be re-released nowadays i guess because it's more accessible to re-release a movie like we saw what was it last year or the year before when the avengers they re-released halfway like six months after they stopped showing it in theaters just so they could get the the yeah. billion the two billion dollar mark or something like that <laughs> so I, I think we'll yeah. see i think because nolan is such a aficionado of movie theaters you know he's even said like hey we need to keep movie theaters open during a pandemic that uh, yeah. I think we're definitely going to see Tenet in some degree. It probably won't have a big release again, but I could see them doing like a limited release in certain, especially in IMAX. And especially because there's nothing out right now. Like the only thing it would True. be competing with would be, I don't even know. Can you name any movies that are out right now? Uh, I can only imagine that if Disney re-released Mulan in theaters, it would have with um, if me if Mulan gets re-released, I'm joining a picket line because I do that. That's a different topic for another day, but I have problems with Disney right now. Uh, so, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting into into his his filmography, uh, we started out with the with following. I don't know. You have me saying the following now, and it drives me crazy. I I say the following <laughs> every single time because I'm stupid. But it's, it's following. It's following. Just following. It's just following. It came out in 1998. Uh, it filmed, yeah, it came out in September of 1998. Is a 110-minute runtime, has an 81% on Rotten Tomatoes, 60 on Metacritic. Uh, take those with what you will. I don't really put a lot of stock into those, but they're good. Uh, 
kind of good metrics. Yeah, they're like a good uh, a good comparison to to his other works. This idea for this film came to him when his apartment was robbed, which is kind of a. Uh, this I is like such a about that, one that sounds like such a Nolan thing, right? Like, hey, I just lost <laughs> all of my prized possessions. Let me write a movie about this. I can make a story out of this. <laughs> so uh, it starts Jeremy Theobald. Which do you know what other Nolan movie Jeremy Theobald is in? I don't even remember that. He's movie. in a super small role, but if you've seen this movie enough, you'll know. You you can like yesterday was I was watching this movie. I noticed it immediately. Oh, okay. He's recognizable. Yeah, he's in uh he's in Batman Begins. He's he's one of the engineers, I guess, in the water pressure plant when oh, I remember. Liam okay, Neeson okay, yeah, is yeah. taking the train downtown. Yeah, I remember now. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he has one line in that. it. So I thought <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. I, I, I saw him and I was like I did the, the Leo meme where he points You're at the T V screen. <laughs> yeah, I was like, that's pretty cool. Nice. Yeah, so this was a $6,000 budget, which is absurd. That's a real pocket change right there. It, had a back, it did have a box office run. It made only 48000 which isn't too great, but for a film with virtually no marketing and Very only 110 minutes, yeah. that is... They probably only released in London as well, for the most part. Oh, 100%. Uh, it was all written, directed, filmed, and edited by Nolan himself. Shot in black and white, 60 millimeter film. That film was bought by Nolan himself. Did you know about the uh, the shooting schedule? Yeah, they filmed. Everybody was all like pretty much unknown or just unprofessional actors. They had like all real jobs. They only filmed on weekends throughout the course of an entire year. Yeah, that when I read that, that was like, oh my, the dedication. To only shoot and edit for a year on the weekends is that's it's it's kind of inspiring in a way to be honest. Like this, he he had somewhat of a name to himself, you know, with his short films in college, but not really a huge name. And he was just like, you know what? Let me just pay my way to buy to make a feature film. Remember, he said his mom was the catering. She would make sandwiches for everyone. <laughs> so they would they would only shoot fifteen minutes of footage. Every shooting day was another thing oh, I read. Yeah, I remember they would rehearse it like insanely, so they would only do one or two takes. Yeah, film is expensive. Yeah, actual film stock is really expensive. Isn't that crazy? That makes sense. On a budget, you want to save your film stock. I thought that was, oh man, very inspiring. So, um, yeah. So this movie. I feel like... Oh, go ahead. I'll say this. To some degree, I feel like that do that do it yourself aesthetic or just approach has really never left Nolan either. No, I agree. I think he takes, especially with this film, he he he, and throughout his career, he takes risks because he wants to and because he has a vision for it, and because yeah. and in little ways like using practical effects instead of CGI. Yeah, he's just like I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do it, and nobody's gonna tell me no. Yeah. And if anybody tells me you no, know, they're wrong. So, and like most most Hollywood films would have like second unit or even third units. And I remember Nolan said that he would never do that. No, he doesn't. He doesn't have to be on set. He doesn't want to film it. Which is both maddening if you're a producer <laughs> slash yeah. studio executive. Dollars, <laughs> yeah. But it's also pretty if you're a guy like Nolan who's a an artiste in a way. Uh, you kind of have to have it that way, or a control freak as well. Well, you know, 
I don't like you bowed mouthing Nolan right now. Little column A, little column B. <laughs> the the ends justify the means, though. Am I right? In a way. And the uh, following, not the following, following. Following, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, when was the first time you saw this? I saw this recently, but when when did you come across following? I saw it a few years ago. Uh, I was in high school. Was, oh wow! I remember. That was when I was in my big Christopher Nolan, greatest director of all time. <laughs> I remember watching it, and even back then, as his first film, he still does a lot of editing tricks where he will reshuffle scenes so that they take place out of order and presenting the story in a nonlinear fashion. Even just as a noir film, like a very, it's supposed to be a very classic noir film filmed in black and white when it didn't have to be. Mm -hmm. but, Old film noir was just like that. It really touches into, I think, a lot of the touchstones of his career. It's presenting stories in uh, ways that reflect how the story happens. So he plays with editing, he plays with time, uh, even mm -hmm. just using black and white to recreate that aesthetic genre of noir and psychological thriller. That's just that's what he that's his bread and butter right there. Yeah, he's he's very unconventional with this film. You know, if he had presented this in a more linear fashion, I think it wouldn't have been as impactful. And I don't think. Yeah. I don't. He definitely probably wouldn't. I mean, I don't want to say he wouldn't have gone on to make Memento, but I don't think he would have had the funding that Memento had if. I don't he think didn't. people would have trusted him to make moments. Yeah, exactly. And so to, for him to, first of all, just say, hey, for $6,000, I made a 110-minute feature film is impressive beyond itself, even if the movie was crap. But the fact that it's not crap and it's actually pretty it, – it's pretty good, honestly. Like, it's pretty good. When I first watched it, I was – you know, you're, it's obviously a little raw. It's a little rough. You know, the acting is whatever because they're not professional actors in the common sense. But – I think I watched it about a week ago and the week up until we recorded this podcast, I've just been, I'm just more and more impressed with what he was able to do with such a limited budget. I mean, they had $8 for the audio budget and that was just because they bought one blank audio tape. That, that's, a, I mean, that, I can't even, <laughs> I can't comprehend trust. the fact that he was able to just. on such a limited budget it's it's really impressive and like you said it does sh this movie does bring a lot of what are what we like about nolan as far as his non-linear structures his editing styles and the tight camera work that he that he'll bring without his films but i think it also highlights a lot of his downfalls and that's sometimes flat characters and sometimes one-dimensional characters and sometimes it works yeah. because, you know, you like your characters to have a set goal. But for a film like this and for films coming up that we'll get into, I think he sometimes gets a little too one-dimensional with it. And uh, it there's not really a whole lot of depth there that we can explore beyond what we're watching. Yeah, for sure. He is a exposition, the director. D that too. The dialogue at times feels a little expositiony which when you build worlds like nolan's you kind of have to be expositiony you just kind of wished it was more shakespearean Not. and flowy versus 
kind of bland at times. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think I I really think that this is one of, if not the best debut feature film that has ever been produced by a uh, director. So, yeah. any any last thoughts on following? Uh, I think it's a good film. Watch it on Criterion Channel. I'd say Criterion, or you can or rent it on, or you can rent it on Amazon for four ninety nine, like I did. Yeah, not a bad option either. It has to go back on Netflix, though. They need to put it back on. Netflix. Yeah, I don't know why some one of these. I mean, I guess HBO Max can do it now that HBO has their own app. But one of these streaming services needs to buy all of his, or just a director, just be like, hey. Tarantino, I'm buying all of your films for three years, and we're putting them all on one on our app. I don't know yeah. why. Like, following an insomnia, I had to rent. Dark Knight and Batman Begins is on Netflix, but The Dark Knight Rises isn't. I don't, I don't know. It was just I was upset. Inception got taken or is getting taken off next week off of Netflix. I, I don't even know where Interstellar is at. Same. But I, I I have it on Blu-ray. I don't care where. It's yeah, on. no, I have all these movies on Blu-ray, so I'm just kind of com- shouting at birds right now. <laughs> 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 this applies to me not at all. So, uh, yeah, well, yeah. Memento for fa- or... six thousand dollars in the four million dollars in budget. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Memento, which came out in two thousand, uh, like it was a four point five million dollar budget. Made forty million dollars at the box office, which is pretty pretty impressive. Good for an independent film. Uh, it had Oscar noms and best original screenplay and best film editing. It stars Guy Pearce, Carrie Ann Moss, Joe Pantoliani. He's just Ralph Cifaretto to me. If you watch The Sopranos, uh, this is shot by Wally. F- Feister? Fister? Is it Feister or Fister? His, his first time working with Wally uh, Fisher, I think it's pronounced. Fisher, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is his first of many collaborations. He works with him all the way up through Dark Knight Rises, I believe. Uh, Yes, yes, yes. Interstellar was when um Hoyt took over. Hoyt, oh, impronounceable name. Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce. Okay. Um, Did you know that Brad Pitt was originally considered for the role that uh, Guy Pierce takes, which is Leonard. Now that would have been interesting. I don't think it would have worked. No. I think Guy Pierce works. I mean, obviously we know who Guy Pierce is now, but he's not. He's not an A list. I don't think he's. He's probably not even like a B plus list. If you broke it down like that, no disrespect to Guy Pierce. You make great movies. You're a phenomenal actor, especially yeah. in this movie. But yeah, for sure. I think if we had Brad Pitt, I think. It wouldn't have been the same. I think we would have been. It's kind of like the I call it the Mark Wahlberg effect, where I'm I don't feel like I'm watching a movie where Mark Wahlberg's playing a character. I feel like I'm just watching Mark Wahlberg, and that's how I feel yeah. about probably ninety percent of Brad Pitt's movies, where I'm watching Brad Pitt be in a movie and not yeah. an actor or a character played by so Brad Pitt. Much, so much of this movie is character the guy pierce character um like you're in his point of view the entire film you never leave his side and i think that he just he really is that character like everybody talks about the editing in this film but when i think of this film i think of guy pierce and his that character just like his face is just associated with this movie so so closely 
Oh yeah, yeah. No, I think I think Guy Pierce definitely elevates this movie to another level. I think the editing, while it's good, it's sometimes confusing at time. It's confusing at the beginning because you don't know what exactly is going on. But I think Guy Pierce's he just has a charisma tool that you're just yeah kind of entranced by and you want to keep watching to see who this man is. Um, I think it's. I, it was interesting to read that the screenplay was actually written that way with the cross-cutting editing where the middle is the end. Uh, I don't. What are your thoughts on that? Because I have my own thoughts, but I want to hear yours first. I remember even when I knew how the film was structured before watching it, when I watched it the f- first time, I was still confused. So I feel like it's... It's interesting, but it's a lot of work. And yeah. I've only seen it the one time. I feel like if I went in a second time, I would have to like prepare myself mentally. Yeah, I would agree with that. I th- I rewatched it uh, last night. And I was just, the whole time I was watching it, I was just trying to piece together what had just happened while trying to watch what's going on now. And while yeah. I can appreciate his risk taking. I mean, this is a huge jump from following to be so uh such a risk. Yeah, experimental. There you go. Thank you. It's so experimental in his his screen uh his act structure and and how he wants it to go. But I think I think it it kind of hinders it in a little bit because you're like I said you're always trying to figure out what just happened and you're trying to piece it together to go forward. And this is the same problem I have with Tenet, which we'll get into much, much later. But it's hard trying to piece together something that's happening while something else is going on. And I don't... That's one thing about Nolan, I'll say, I think also is a problem that arises early in his films, in his career. That he, as much as we like to make fun of him for writing nothing but exposition, he gets away with not explaining a lot of things. In this movie? In a lot of his films, and especially Memento. Okay, uh, explain on that. Like the, the, I was saying earlier that part of the film that we like Guy Pierce is because we're so in his perspective, we see everything from his point of view. The editing mirrors that. He only remembers what had happened. Like, what was it? It was like it was retrograde amnesia or something like that. Yeah, but the yeah, whole yeah. film is told backwards because he only remembers what happened previously. But he doesn't remember what happened for that. So it's told backwards to be from his actual point of view, how he would remember things. Yeah. But none of that is explained immediately. Yeah. It isn't really until halfway through the film that you you get that. Yeah, I think once, I forgot, I think like four or five scenes of jumping back and forth where you're like, oh, they're uh, they're telling this backwards. I mean, the first time you see it, you're like, okay, that's that, interesting, but it takes a while to actually not understand. Only is the film told backwards, but there are also scenes that are going forwards in time. Yeah, the black and white. They're like interspersed. The black and white scenes are all forward in time. Mm-hmm. Those are thrown in also just to mess with you, I guess. <laughs> yeah, this is Nolan. Like it. 
this is Nolan's first foray into uh into mind blowing us, and yeah. I mean it it works. It's a it's a very passable. It's a good film. I'll say that much. Uh, but I think Absolutely. I think it is a little it, it is a little rough, and I don't think this is a bold this is a bold take. I'm gonna say it, but I I don't think it lends itself really well to a rewatch. I don't. It is a bit gimmicky. Yeah, it's a little gimmicky, and then I th- I think you you need you kind of need to be confused to watch this. You need to understand. You need to be Leonard. Basically, we're basically a character in this yeah. movie. Nolan, where's my paycheck for being a character in this movie? Because <laughs> well, I mean, part of that is just because how effectively confusing it is. Yeah, yeah, it is very confusing. Yeah, I I had seen it, and then I watched it again last week. Like I said, and I was just I just it was hurting my brain. I could only watch like half of it, and that's also because it was four o'clock in the morning. But you oh my know, it, my brain was hurting uh, after watching this. Yeah, I don't think it it doesn't lend itself really well to a rewatch. It's still it's still I, I it, appreciate it. I appreciate it, but that's probably about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, I I mean I'll buy it because you know it's Nolan. You gotta have a Nolan tr- uh, collection. It's not insultingly confusing. Yeah. Yeah. Have you it's watched... So there's a version of it where you can... I think it's on a Blu-ray... I think it's on a DVD uh, special features thing where you can actually watch it in order. Have you seen that version? No, not at all. Yeah, I don't think... I think, I don't think I would watch that because I think like following, you need to watch it the way Nolan presents it and not the way that you want to... Yeah. That it, you should watch it it's or to be chronologically. Confusing. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're we're saying it's not that good because it's confusing, but it's meant to be confusing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I yeah, I would not watch that version, just on principle. It's like watching the Godfather trilogy where they put the parts of Godfather Part Two where uh, it's Don Corleone, the uh, Vito, where it's Vito's younger. They put that first, and then they put the rest of it. That just sounds not interesting to me. Yeah, no. Any last, uh, no last thoughts or anything on following or Memento? Sorry. Memento, it's uh, it is an okay film. In, a, in the tier list, I gave it an A. Um, it's probably more like an A minus. It's a it's a light A, as uh, Anthony Fantano says. Yeah, it's a strong B to a light A. Yeah, I think I have it in the B tier. Yeah. Just because of that. I think I had it in the B tier before I rewatched it, just basing it off of what I remembered. And then rewatching it, I was like, yeah, this is definitely a B tier. It is a very bold second film. That's for oh, sure. Oh, 100%. 100%. Absolutely. But it got Not him as into. Bold as insomnia. It got him into. Uh, into Warner Brothers. Got him into America. Yeah. So and America. So we gotta be grateful yeah, but for it's that. Not as bold as Insomnia. Insomnia. Okay. Start off with the Insomnia. This is actually this is not an original screenplay. It's based off of a nope. Norwegian film, right? Uh Swedish. But yes. Swedish. Yes. So I have not seen the original Swedish film. Um, but uh, my opinion of Insomnia is not very high. So I probably won't watch the original. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. This is an okay film. 
Yeah, so it's almost like it's. It, I will say this: it's almost like because the momentum was very bold and in your face. It's almost like Nolan pulled back a little bit. I yeah, I think this was Warner Brothers. This is the classic. Hey, we're gonna hire this up and coming director to make this film that we optioned. Star studded film. Yeah, so that way we can see what he's got, and then we'll. Yeah, I mean, you see it all the time, right? You know, like a yeah. low director will make this somewhat star-studded film where you're like how did they get that job it's just a director i mean it's just a studio trying to give a director a chance um so insomnia 46 million dollar budget 113 million dollars at the box office stars al pacino robin williams hillary swank uh, marie tierney martin donovan uh it's first it's his first film that's going to be partnered with warner brothers where they distribute it uh 92 92 on rotten tomatoes which i found very interesting and kind of uh reinforces my concerns with Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, 7.2 on IMDb, 78 on Metascore, which is, I think I would put it there. I think I put it at 7. Uh, it is a remake from a Swedish... A yeah, uh, uh, it's a remake from the Swedish film, like I said. You know who's in the Swedish film? Stellan Skarsgård. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I thought that was now pretty I might cool. have a reason to watch it. <laughs> I love me some Stellan Skarsgård. Um, yeah. yeah, I think, like you said, this movie is very, it's, it is, I will say this without a doubt, it is his most conventional film. It is a very straightforward, straight shooter kind of drama. Um, yeah. It plays it's like with, a police procedural. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the, I like to call him, um, mid-afternoon specials where you know you stay home at school you're sick from school and you put on hbo or uh stars and it's on it yeah and you put it on halfway through it you don't really care about watching the beginning but you're gonna go ahead and continue watching it just because um um, i'll say this robin williams does a really good job he as a comedian in this film as a really good villain. Yeah, so I was going to ask you that. Do you think that they were? Do you think there were any miscastings in the film? Um, I think Robin. I think Robin Williams is adequate as the the killer. I think mm-hmm. Hillary Swank is probably the best choice out of all three. I think she's I really. I think Al Pacino is probably the miscast. And I agree. I think Al Pacino was miscasted completely. I think even if it was 10 years younger. Should have got Guy Pierce. <laughs> Guy Pierce. Or even Alex Steelbolt. Come on, man. Give give your or, boy a Brad Pitt. Yeah. Give your boy a movie. Hey, Stellan Skarsgård speaks English. Get him. Brought him back for the the reboot or remake. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think I don't think Pacino fits. I really don't. I I mean uh, Pacino's name has a lot of weight to it, so I think that's why they added him into the film just to kind of sell. I mean, it did sell. It made 100 yeah. 100 million dollars off the of box office at the box office. But I don't think I don't he just doesn't work. I don't I I don't know what it was. I just for whatever reason I just couldn't. Maybe it's because I watched too much The Godfather and I think of him as this, <laughs> you know, criminal uh, boss that I'm like he couldn't he be a cop that. there's no way yeah. but yeah like yeah. you said he doesn't do a whole lot he's very stiff he's very he's definitely starting to show his age especially when he's changing, uh, chasing Robin Williams throughout the city that one chase scene yeah when they're on the 
Oh, and I'm like, okay, yeah. That's how you know they were using a stunt double. I just, I didn't like Pacino in this movie. Um, but some good things out of this movie, because I don't like starting with criticism, is uh, Hilary Swank. I think I really liked Hilary Swank. I think her, I think she's very likable. She's very believable where she's like meeting her hero. This guy she idolizes and then she starts to question everything that he's done. Uh and at the end, she's like, uh, so I think she's probably the best casting out of the big three. And I'll say, I, I already brought up how I liked Robin Williams in this movie. I mean, I just like it when comedians play dramatic roles. Yeah. So I'll just say it again. That I think he just does a good job. Yeah, I agree. I, 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 I thought he was good. I thought he was, could you have gotten somebody better? Maybe. But was somebody better? I don't know. Um, I think he was very well uh, casted for for what he was. I mean, the character is a creepy guy, and Robin Williams. He comes off creepy, creepy, right? Yeah, he he pulls off yeah. the creepy. Maybe it's because we're so used to him being funny, and you know, him being a little more relaxed kind of creeps us out. It's like a meta thing yeah. that's going on. And maybe maybe it's just how talented Robin Williams was. I miss that man. Um. I'll say this to the setting in Alaska, I think also works very well towards Nolan's style. He's a very cold director, and this is a very cold movie. Yeah, yeah, you could just feel the coldness, right? Whenever they get off the plane. Uh, so I did all like those shots of like the glaciers. Yeah, that was, it's so. I mean, that's Wally P, man. Wally P, he does this for very the rest slick. of his collaborations with his. Uh, Nolan, he's he has great uh, establishing shots. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, I did like how Nolan captures that feeling of insomnia and sleep deprivation when, you know, Pacino's yeah, he's tripping balls up on his windows. Yeah, because I've been there a couple nights where I'm just so tired I can barely stand and I'm starting to see things and I that that was pretty. Uh, I feel like that was pretty accurate. To what? Um, yeah. To what it is. Yeah. Uh, it's just overall, it's just okay. So I got a question. Do you believe? So Pacino shoots his partner, right? Mm. And it we're very clearly led to believe that it was an accident. Do you believe him when they ask, oh, "Hey, was it actually an accident?" And he's like, "I don't even know anymore." Do you believe that? Yeah, I think that's the point. Cause, he's so sleep deprived. He's so in his own head, and he's so see, up but his own ass. It was he wasn't even there that long. He was only there for a day when they he shot him. So I don't I don't know if you can blame it on the sleep deprivation. I don't know if you can say, well, I meant to kill him because I didn't want him to testify against me. Like I don't, because that's the whole reason, right? That's the whole thing. Is like Pacino is trying to have this internal struggle of did i mean to shoot him because he's testifying against me or was it an accident for real and i don't believe it i mean when he says that we're supposed to believe it but i just nothing up to that point made me think oh yeah no uh pacino would kill this guy part of the problem 
I think that's part of the problem with the movie is that nothing up to that point makes you believe really anything about Pacino. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is true. So. It's kind of there. Insomnia brought us uh, Warner Brothers and Nolan together, but didn't really bring us much. It's kind of a missable movie. I would probably put it in the C tier. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a C tier. It's pass. It passes, but, but it's, barely. Uh, barely. <laughs> However, the next film. Oh boy, here we go. It's Batman. I think it's Batman Begins. Yeah, start us. You want to start us off with Batman Begins? All right. So you're doing, you're doing the budgets. It was a one point uh, or a one hundred and fifty million dollar budget. This is Batman. This it's still Warner Brothers, but it's Batman. So this is the superhero movie territory. We're talking in the million dollar budgets now. Yeah, eight hundred million dollars. That's crazy. This is still two thousand five though. So it's somewhat like, just for the context, this is 2005. This is kind of dark ages of superhero movies. We're talking like the trash, like the Daredevil, the Ben Affleck Daredevil, Halle Berry, Catwoman. The Incredible Hulk the, uh, by uh, Cage Ghost Rider. Eric Bana. Yeah. So any of the X-Men films. So. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you take your word. You take that back. <laughs> So, it, superhero movies exist, but they're not like what they are today. Yep, hundred percent. Most of them are trash. Yep. So, this is, I guess, a bit of a risk. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, it's just a risk just to give this relatively unwell, unknown director a your biggest franchise at the time. In Batman, and yeah. B, one hundred fifty million dollars to go make a film, especially like, when his previous films are like willing to be experimental and confusing. Yep, yep. And the fact that you're He's saying willing to say I will throw conventional storytelling out the window. Sure, I'll make a superhero film. Yeah. Well, actually, I heard. So what I read was Nolan went to them. Which was pretty interesting. It was like, hey, I want to make a Batman movie. And they were like, okay. Just the fact that they were like, okay, you're the yeah, unconventional no, guy. Yeah, no, well, that's what's crazy is they were just like, okay. I think that says more about where Warner Brothers was at with the Batman character. Because, I mean, this is coming off the, I believe this is the George Clooney Batmans, right? Batman and Robins. Yeah. The two of them the that Joel, are the Joel Schumacher. with the bat nipples. Where they're <sighs> super trashy. I don't want to talk about those. Uh, those uh, get me upset. That's the context of superhero movies at this point. <laughs> yeah, we're just putting, we're just laying the found, the foundation for this topic, because this trilogy, this movie, but this trilogy as a whole does so much for the not only comic book movies but just film in general for the next what is it, two thousand five to two thousand twelve, so seven years. Yeah, they do so much. Decade defined by this trilogy. Oh, I I think so too, and I, we're gonna get into the Dark Knight in, in a little bit. But I got some takes about the Dark Knight. But um, so I'll say this about Batman Begins. Uh, it stars Christopher Nolan, or not Christopher Nolan? Yes, he stars <laughs> in the film himself. Christian Bale. I get yep. those two confused all the time. 
Christian Bale, Michael Caine, two mainstays of Christopher Nolan. He loves these guys. From now on, yeah. From here on out. Liam Neeson. Uh, Katie Holmes, who only appears in this film. She does not come back for the next few. Gary Oldman uh, as James Gordon. He's probably one of the better James Gordons out there. I think he does the very good old-timey cop. Gary Oldman just sells every role he's in, though. I agree. Let's see who else is in this film. Ken Watanabe, who is another long-term Christopher Nolan collaborator. We'll see him again in a couple years. We'll see him again, for sure. And then Morgan Freeman. Man himself. God himself. What are you talking about? (laughs) God himself. This this was basically... Insomnia was like a star-studded cast. This is a star-studded cast as well. Yeah, but I think the difference between... This Batman Begins and I think Insomnia was chosen for him and Batman Begins is him choosing. And that's why I think this yeah. star-studded cast works. And this also works more because it's actually his screenplay and not somebody else's. But I think Ooh, yeah. this star-studded cast works and they there's almost more of chemistry within the cast because of yeah. Nolan's. This is him choosing who he wants to work with. That's true. And you could, I, I would if, agree with that. If you watch Insomnia and Batman Begins back to back, you could tell a huge difference with the directing of the actors. I'd agree with that. Yeah, for sure. I feel like he was kind of feeling his oats with uh, directing big named yeah, yeah. casts in Insomnia. And now he's like, I can, because he, he chose to have a star studded cast. Mm-hmm. He wanted that specifically. So he kind of had learned his lesson with insomnia and he knew what to do this time around yeah i agree and it shows it shows the acting also, is in this whole trilogy as a whole but in this film too is very well made very well done sorry also written co-written with david s goyer who uh is another good collaborator with nolan he does a lot of good superhero films he, he and jj abrams i think are also he also does uh, some of the Black Ops games. Really? Yeah. Black Ops 1, 2, and the new one, Cold War. Not bad. So Not bad at he's... all. Yeah, he's kind of a specific like superhero and action kind of guy. That's what he does. Yeah, well. you can tell um, he's more of the, the set piece, grandioso kind of writer, I yeah. feel like. Yeah. Because he also does Man For of sure. Steel and Batman vs. Superman and... Mm. those movies also have flaws but the grandioso effects are not because of him they're there yeah yeah definitely uh this is his first collaboration with two people i want to see if you can two mainstays i want to see if you know okay you got hans the man himself and one more who's the other person I don't know who the other person is. He's worked with them ever since, except for on Tenet. Is it going to be? It's going to be his editor, I assume. It is his editor, Lee Smith. Lee Smith will work with him from this film up until Dunkirk. So okay. I'll say this too: this film specifically, following and Memento were very experimental, and their editing styles leaned heavily into the storytelling. Insomnia was just kind of there. It, it didn't really draw attention to itself, and it didn't really say anything. 
But this film, and I think beginning in this film, he really begins to define himself and how he edits just scene to scene, moment to moment. It really begins to show itself and define itself. Quick cutting. There are there there are not many establishing shots actually. He really just jumps. Yeah, yeah. Scene to scene, line to line. He 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 just for better or worse, he doesn't take time to set things up a whole lot. He just we're just gonna go, and that's what I like about this movie is from the get go. You know, you have that flashback with him with young Bruce and Rachel, and Bruce crashes into the back cave, and then it's. He's in Bruce Wayne is in prison, and you're like, wait, what? Like his parents didn't die yet, and then it's like 20 minutes later. Oh, okay, yeah, his parents died. So yeah, that's what I really liked about this film. I think Nolan really did a good job covering the base of the character without acting like people didn't know who Batman was. Yeah, yeah, because everybody knows who Batman is, and it's kind of it's like the Peter Parker thing where every super spider-man movie that we have has to show uncle ben dying but this movie yeah, seriously there his parents dying is shown for five minutes maybe right that's like a five minute scene when they're in the theater yeah and then it's not you can feel his parents death weighing on he's, him without having to keep showing us you know yeah they really they they kind of reinvent his origin or it's not so much the death that harps on him as much as his relationship to his parents. Yeah. Specifically his relationship to his father. They really kind of reinvent little moments. I think that's really, that's what made this film work is that it, they kind of almost had the trilogy in mind. They were saying, this is one character, Bruce Wayne. How do we establish him so that we can follow him? Not just establish him so that we know what he's like, so that he can be a character. Not many mm-hmm. people do that with superheroes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Knock I think off Superman. <laughs> yeah, that's the and I think that's the problem with Marvel movies that I have is you don't really feel like the characters grow. You know, it you kind of just feel like oh, these characters they have to deal with something. They deal with it. They deal with it, and then they. Go to a team up movie two movies from now. It's like, okay, but where's the character development? You know, like where when do we learn more about Bruce Wayne as a person and and what he does? And yeah. I think Nolan tackles that. I think Nolan saw a lot of a lot of character potential with Batman. Um, I think there was any not, superhero. I guarantee you, Nolan would relate to it. Would be Batman. Oh, 100 percent. I think it's Batman. It's probably Spider Man who have. The more, well, maybe not Spider-Man, but Batman for sure, because he has such a dark origin and he has such a dark and realistic take on life. Yeah. You know, he's not and flying through buildings and shooting laser beams <laughs> and all this other crap. He doesn't he's, have superpowers. He's just beating people no up and using his brain. Yeah. Yeah. All of these characters. Yeah, absolutely. And this film, I think, also as a first Batman movie in the trilogy, what I like about this film, there's a lot of campiness to it. Yeah, yeah. I was actually gonna still s- a little bit of that. Joel, Joel I was gonna actor. say that I w- I watched it last night and I was surprised on how how much it. I don't want to say it's a comic book movie because that sounds like I'm berating comic book movies, but it it is very much 
a comic book movie. Like, there's a little goofiness to it. There's a little bit of, you know, every scene has a one-liner by a character where they're making a joke. Um, It's not super, it's not forced, but at times you're like, okay, that, that, that is annoying. This is still a little goofy and a little fun. Um, yeah. And I think I, I liked it. I, I It was very refreshing, I want to say, because I watched The Dark Knight like a million times, So, and I haven't really watched the other well, two that much. also what you need. I think that's what it needs, is it, it had to be accessible. Yeah. It had to be a little comedic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we need. is an extremely campy character. He needed eleven-year-olds to be able to go into the theaters and watch it, just so he could get, you know, that character. That yeah. the movie really just to be produced, but also for speaking of which, people to relate to this. Something this film also starts a trend with Christopher Nolan's career. And this is one that I actually don't like, but regardless, this was his first PG thirteen film, and every one of his yep. films since is pg-13 say what you want about that because i have some things to say but uh he's he's definitely looking for accessibility and a larger audience this movie and he hits it yeah this is a great I, film this is a good foray into the batman character that it's, nolan makes and it's, it's very it's groundbreaking plus. yeah i would i think i put well, it i wouldn't say that this is groundbreaking actually i would disagree with that well it's it's groundbreaking in that it allowed, I think it lets it sets a foundation for him. So it, it kind of is groundbreaking in a way. I mean, it's foundation setting. Maybe, uh, foundation setting. Yes, I think groundbreaking is definitely going to be the Dark Knight. But yeah, there's a reason why, and I will get to that when we get to that. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to it. Um, Unless, I I had two questions for you. Yeah, I had two questions for you. One. Is Katie Holmes good or bad in this? I, we kind of talked about this, but I kind of want to delve into it more because I have interesting takes on Maggie Gyllenhaal, the who plays Rachel, who replaces her as Rachel yeah. in a uh, Dark Knight. Replaces Rachel in Dark Knight. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I wanted to get on your take I... on the Katie Holmes version. She's not bad. Um. The character is kind of a bland character. She's kind of just a damsel mm -hmm. in distress. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't think she does too bad. I mean, it's it's hard to play a character who kind of just exists to get rescued. <laughs> the uh, damsel in distress. It is jarring. It is jarring to go from one film to another. It's the same character played by two different actors. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's my issue with Maggie. One of my issues. But I don't want to get into that too much because we still have a discussion on the Dark Knight. But um Yeah, I think I think I went into I think I well I went into this movie thinking that Katie was a superior Rachel. And then I watched it again and I 
I think they're equal. I think they both have issues and they both have strengths. But maybe it's how they play the character. I think they're equal. I think it's the character who is a little flawed. On the fence. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's fair. And that goes more into like what we were saying about Nolan and how he's sometimes his characters are very one dimensional and don't have a lot of depth, especially side characters. But yeah, and a second question: uh, How do you feel about the Gotham that is in the Batman Begins? Batman Begins. I. Oh, that's a good question. So I like that it's original. It's, you know, after watching The Dark Knight a million times and going back and watching the Batman or Batman Begins, I don't know why I keep calling it the Batman. Batman Begins. Um, it's it's kind of nice to not watch it and see like, oh, there's Chicago or the oh, there's Pittsburgh. You know, it's it's original and it's a new idea. I also don't like it because in the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises, the city completely changes. <laughs> so it's oh, yeah, it's sure. it's a little I, I jarring. I like what I like about Gotham in Batman Begins is that it's actually a very like almost colorful city. Yeah, and it goes bright. back to that point where we were talking about how it, this is very much still a comic book movie, and it's yeah. it's still based in a comic book because Gotham is a very lively colorful bombastic city that you find in uh, comic books there's, there's Gotham and then there's like Arkham Asylum and they're like night and day yeah yeah exactly yeah Arkham Asylum too it's Prison like why didn't you Knight. bring it back but I digress yeah. Dark Knight is like everything is Arkham Asylum by that point yeah yeah the Dark Knight's just crazy um any so, final thoughts on Batman Begins? No, I think it was a very serviceable... Uh, not serviceable. I think it's a great origin story. I think it's a new take on the superhero franch or franchises. Uh, I think it, it brought us Nolan into the foray of mainstream. It turned him into kind of a blockbuster hit. Now, he'll get more of a blockbuster yeah. hit later in his career, but I think this is the first time people are like, oh, dope, This we can trust this guy with a lot of money and a big key to our franchise. Um, oh, yeah. And it's also just for a period of time in which almost every superhero movie was trash. The great superhero movie. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it shows us it shows I don't want to say us, but it shows filmmakers and studios like, hey, we can do more with superhero characters than just have them beat up a random dude for an hour and a half. And I think you see it has that the edginess. It has the edginess of 2,000 superheroes, but it just keeps a little bit of that, you know, campiness and comedic element that it's never so egregious. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's I have this one in the... Like Daredevil. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or oh, Eric Bana's Incredible Hulk. No, but I have seen Edward Norton Incredible Hulk. Oh, well, that one's bad too, but Eric Bana's is... Oh my God, it's an <laughs> abomination. It's like if I went into... Uh, what is it? After Effects? It made my own Incredible Hulk. It's I don't know how that Isn't movie that got Ang released. Lee? The what? Isn't that the Ang Lee one? The Ang Lee song? Ah, uh, is it? I don't I don't know who directs it, but I know Eric Bana is in it. Like he he stars. Hmm. Let me look it up. That's uh, a good period in time for. Uh... It's even amazing that superhero films are what they are today. When you look back at the two thousands. And it's all because of the Dark Knight trilogy. Yeah, Angley. Angley did direct this one. 
you go. <laughs> there you go. Funny. So that was part one of three for our discussion on Christopher Nolan and his career. I want to thank Frank Lancaster for supplying the uh, intro music as well as the outro music. Um, part two should hopefully come out sometime within a week or so of the release of this podcast. So to make sure to subscribe to us, follow us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Spotify uh, to get that update on when part two will come out. Uh, Until then, thank you guys. Stay safe. Have a wonderful night.